0: This is Conrad Menardis with Golden Acre's Custom Calls.
1: This is Rilo's Quack Chat. As a call maker, I enjoy talking shop with other duck call makers. On this podcast, it's all about duck calls and duck hunting. From the marsh to the duck call shop, we're going to find the story behind the duck calls and the people that make them. This is Rilo's Quack Chat. Hey, everybody, how's it going? This is Riley Henderson with Rilo's Quack Chat, talking about duck calls and duck hunting right here in the quack chat shack right here in indiana in an unspecified location oh my goodness so oh man just been busy um just messing around in the shop and it's kind of the duck blues era there's no seasons for a couple of more months and so you just you know this is my time to talk to fellow call makers about duck hunting and Duck calls him in. There is <clears throat> one gentleman that, uh, you know, there's a, cu- a couple of guys that I talk to on Facebook, and we'll share pictures back and forth and sound files, and we kind of push each other. Um, and I'll tell you what, man, right now on the scene, especially the cut down scene, uh, you may see these uh, Cocoa uh, cut downs that are floating around that sound awesome and they look awesome and then if you look at the videos of the guy blowing those things you 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 think man the first se- first thing you think to yourself is man that duck call sounds amazing and then second you think did chad kroger from nickelback quit and start making duck calls so <laughs> today we have mr conrad Minyard. is conrad how's it going
0: it's going good, Riley. I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> have has uh have people said you look like Chad Kroger before? I have not heard that.
0: I had one guy tell me I looked like someone from the Bass Pro Tour and I cannot remember that guy's name with that long hair, but uh no, I just I just kinda laughed laughed off, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was
1: talking to Luke Young and I brought it up to him and he started laughing. He's like,
0: Man, he just
1: needs to turn towards the camera and be like
0: Look at this photograph. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious!
1: No, but man, what what's going down in Texas? Where are you up to? Have you been in the shop?
0: Man, I have been in the shop and I've been cranking out orders like it's the last day on earth. I'll tell you what it's been uh it's been pretty busy. And I know my wife is is frustrated, but she's been really patient with me. And today she was in the shop with me learning how to run the laser engraver to help me with my call boxes and she's just been really supportive during this time as we're getting flooded with orders so it's been she's been really patient and really great yeah
1: and then the other day you told me about this like annual migration that your wife's family does every year that was just mind-blowing
0: that that is mind-blowing it when we were uh when we were dating she told me she's like hey you need to come down to our family reunion And I'm thinking like, okay, you know, maybe 25, 30 people, extended family, whatnot. Dude, I showed up and there was a hundred something people at this thing. I was like, what in the crap did I just get myself into? (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's the craziest thing. It's been going on since she tells me the 1930s. They've been having this family reunion. And And, uh, it's just super cool to get to meet everybody and hear all their stories and this last weekend, we were up at the Frio River and uh, just getting to hang out and, and chew the fat with a bunch of her family members. And I think there were about 75, between 75 and 100 people there this year. Mm-hmm. So just a good time and good to step out of the shop and relax for a little bit, you know? Yeah, man, I'll,
1: I'll tell you what, since the 30s, that is just so impressive. I mean, back in the day, my family reunions were like once every five years. Oh, yeah I mean, it was to be doing it every year since the 30s is just mind-blowing
0: it's pretty crazy I mean I've never had a family reunion with my you know own personal family so this was a whole new concept to me it's like this is the kind of stuff you see in the movies you know <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it's man you know the one I I've only had a couple of family reunions in my life but the one that's most memorable is my Cousin Gary who was an alcoholic after uh, getting drinking his fill he gets in his car and all the family is trying to stop him and all the matriarchs decide that he can't leave if they oh. climb on top of his car and climb on the <laughs> hood of the car and Dude, uh,
0: seven duties.
1: and he drove off with all the 60-year-old matriarchs hanging <laughs> off of the car <laughs> <laughs> and the men had to chase him down because he was getting to the interstate. He was cooking. Oh, like, man. these women were screaming and falling off the car. Oh, I miss my cousin Gary. He was funny.
0: That's hilarious. Just trying to do their civic duties, you know? Protect the, <laughs> the public. <laughs> yeah.
1: There were like seven women hanging off of this car.
0: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I wish was, I could have seen that.
1: Uh, I'll, I'll remember it till the day I die. It was so funny. But anyway. Let's talk about, man. I mean, right now you've been there's been certain guys in the call community really making waves. Um I mean, you before we really talk about what's going on right now, you know, there you've got the Coco Cutter, you've got your J frames, I mean, you're really kicking out a lot just awesome quality calls. You're doing the monthly call right now. Um, well, you just did it, I think a week, two weeks ago um i mean you've got a lot going on but i mean what people may not know is you're also a dog trainer um and you you're a duck hunter i mean let's start from the beginning before all this i mean before you dove into the culture of duck hunting i mean how old were you what what was your first hunt like give me all the start what started all this
0: yeah, man. Well, had I known at 10 years old what this was going to lead up to, I may have uh, I may have just sat back and laughed. I mean, this all started for me when I was 10 years old. Um, my first duck hunt was with my dad and a couple of his friends and acquaintances. And it was a really cold morning up in Hempstead, Texas. And we were going to go hunt this basically just a it was just a small pond with a duck blind in the center of it, and it was probably it was a, it was probably about thirty two degrees, maybe a little colder. I do remember there being ice, you know, all over the the edges of the pond,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, I had a borrowed four ten shotgun, a no waiters borrowed camouflage. Had no idea what in the world we were doing, my dad included. This was also his first duck hunt as well. And this is in 2004 that's when Mm -hmm. this was and uh so we go traipsing out there to this pond across the pasture and we get to the edge of the water and one of my dad's buddies picks me up and puts me on his shoulders and he's wearing waders and he wades us out to the blind i think my dad had a pair of borrowed waders or some hip waders or something like that but um i just remember man i was so excited i had i had that hunting bug but it was more so like deer hunting and trying to figure out that whole scene and uh but i was just super excited to learn all about duck hunting you know and uh that was just even though we didn't kill anything that first hunt it was just oh man i'll never forget it even at 10 you know we had a couple ducks cup in and and put down on the far end of the pond just out of out of range for us but I was hooked, dude. When I saw those ducks, I think they were gadwalls. They just locked their wings and dropped right in. I was like, oh, this is bad. (laughs) This is going to be a lifelong addiction, you know. And uh, like I said, we didn't kill anything on that first hunt, but we had a follow-up hunt on the lake where I grew up. I grew up on Houston County Lake, Mm -hmm. um, which is a small little lake in East Texas just outside of Grapland and uh, my dad is a summer camp director over there at Frontier Camp, and uh, it was nice living on the lake because it was public access for hunting, hmm. and so we had a little, golly, at that time, I think it was a little 12-foot John boat with a 9.9 Evinrude, uh on it, and we found the A good spot to hunt in the back of the lake. This was at the time on that lake where you could actually build permanent blinds. You know, now with the rules on the lake, there's no more permanent blinds. You can hunt out of your boat, or you can brush up, you know, a little section along the shoreline. But pretty much anything that you bring in has to come back out with you, which makes sense, you know. But this was back in the day, and so we go to the back of Houston County Lake with the same group of guys that I was on my first duck hunt with. And my dad and his buddy are are set up about 200 yards away from us, and I'm on this corner point blind with uh, with one of the younger guys. I think he was maybe 16 or 17 at that point. Uh-huh. Could have been younger. It's been so long, I can't really remember. But uh, we had a group of blue di- blue bills, excuse me, cup in and put down right and smack in the center of our decoys, you know. And so Tommy McMahon, that's what's his name. He uh, helped me stand up and get lined up. And I water swatted the crap out of that blue bill, one of those blue bills that was sitting there. And that was my first duck. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> oh, dude, I, you can't replace that feeling. You know, it's just, you know, it's just awesome. And, uh, I was already hooked even from that first time where I didn't kill anything, but after I shot that duck, oh man, I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do, you know? So,
1: so at 10 years old, you shoot your first duck that's a bluebill. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome.
0: With a 4'10", single shot, I'm pretty sure is what it was. One of those New England, I think it was a New England firearms break open single shot. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, I'll never forget that memory. That was just super special. And I wish, I wish that my dad had been there for that. He was, you know, like I said, 200 yards away. But uh, I still remember him being super excited and getting to share that with him, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's kind of what got me into this whole scene. And uh, it's all downhill from there. I, um, As I got a little older, I'm going to step back a minute and just tell you, like, throughout my whole childhood, I, I grew up in deep east Texas, hunting in the woods pretty much every single day mm-hmm. uh, during the season. And I had this group of older gentlemen that just liked to give me stuff. It is the weirdest thing, but they just, they wanted to see me chase my dreams and help me out. And our neighbor, when I was probably, oh man, I think it was either 14 or 15, he gifted me a 15-foot Ouachita duck boat with a 9.9 Johnson on it that had been bored out to be a 15-horsepower motor.
1: Get out here.
0: Dude. And my dad had him pull it around in the front yard for Christmas. And they took me outside. It's like, here you go. And I was just, man, I almost cried because <laughs> we lived on a lake, you know, that yeah. was like having, that was like being given the keys to a car before you could drive, before you had a permit or a license or anything, you know? And I was like, this is my freedom right here. Yeah. And uh, it was just, man, I had to fix it up. It had, you know, rotten transom and, and I had to replace all the, all the carpet. I ripped all that out and we did some like rhino liner and put, you know, lights on it and, and basically tricked it out, camoed it up. And later I built my own, uh, frame system to hold the camo net and be like a, you know, built in duck blind and it folds up when the boat's running. But I tell you what, man, that was, uh, like I said, it was like being given the keys to a car. I was on that lake, on Houston County Lake, fishing and hunting. You know, just whenever I wasn't doing school or or anything else. And I mean, it's safe to say that I was on the water every single day, yeah. Pretty much, even in, even in the summer, was running that boat. And uh, and just, I still have that boat, and it's still my duck boat today. And I'm 27 now. You know.
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: <laughs> kind of crazy.
1: That's awesome. When did you get your first uh, dog?
0: My first dog. So another back to the group of gentlemen that like to gift me things. (laughs) I was 15 and wanting a dog bad. I just, you know, so I had been duck hunting for a little bit and um, was getting my feet wet and starting to get pretty good at the sport. And uh, the next best thing for me was to have a dog and to train it myself. That's what I really, really wanted to do. And so this gentleman named Roger Kellum, my dad had been talking to him and told him, he said, Hey, He's like, is there any way we could buy a dog from you? Roger was a, um, he had a, I think it was a state champ dog. It had won some local field trials and then gone on to win some state stuff. Mm-hmm. Incredible credible dog named Blondie. And she was a yellow lab. And he had bred her with Viking. It was a silver lab. And they had a litter, I think of like six or seven pups. These are probably like $2,000 dogs. Okay. Just Mm -hmm. to put it in perspective. And this man just gifted me the cream of the crop. Gave me a yellow female yellow lab. That's what I wanted was a female. Because I'd been doing my research. And I just decided it was better to start with a female. Based on what I'd read. And uh, that's what what he gifted me. He gave me a $2,000 dog. And not only did he do that. (laughs) This man had connections with a, a professional trainer. Matt Larkin of Cross Creek Kennels up in um, oh man, he's just north of Crockett, I believe. But um, this guy, Matt Larkin, he runs 35, 40 dogs at a time out of his out of his property. He's got a huge, you know, system set up for for doing that full time. And uh, Roger Kellum got a hold of Matt Larkin and said, Hey, I'd like you to see if you can work with this kid and teach him how to train this dog he's like i'll cover the costs or whatever and matt larkin out of the you know kindness of his heart just did it for free he completely did it for free he took me on he said now look <laughs> he sat me down and he said look if we're going to do this we're going to do this right we're going to do it all the way he said i'm interested in this as long as you've got an interest in it yeah and I'm like yes sir what when do we start you know And so from the time that Jill, Jill is my, uh, my yellow lab pup from the time that she was seven weeks old, we started obedience training with her and I would drive, I would drive 45 minutes, one way twice a week to go meet up with Matt Larkin at Cross Creek Kennels and start learning how to train a retriever. Wow. I did that for about a year and a half until I took her through the entire program and had her to the point where she could run trials and field trials. And she was a, just a, a freaking awesome dog, man. There's no, not really any words that can describe how awesome that dog is. And still is she's 13 right now, still alive. And she's with my parents and, uh, just a crazy, crazy awesome experience to get to, to, um, raise and train her and take her as far as she could possibly go in the training and um, Matt Larkin I mean, I, <laughs> I just get tickled when I think about it I mean he gave me a skill set that would cost you know oh goodness I, I can't even put a price tag on it for what from what I know from him and his teachings you know it's just um, it was really 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 thoughtful of him to do that for me and um, yeah it's just kind of kind of crazy and uh he's still trucking he's still running 35 40 dogs a year and he's putting out some of the best retrievers in the state oh my gosh oh yeah and uh it's just cool to get to hunt with jill i mean i had her she we did not we did not miss she never missed a hunt she was on every hunt Mm
2: -hmm. that we
0: went on you know and the dog was so smart she um we hunted up off the trinity river a lot And some of these little ponds that we'd hunt had like some steep banks that that had some, um, oh, there was like big root systems that would go up underneath it. And then it would just disappear into like a cavern pretty much up up underneath these banks. And this dog would disappear under these banks and come back with a wood duck in her mouth that we had shot. you know And this could be 45, 50 minutes after the shot, after it had crawled away. And she just had a nose on her that was unfreaking believable And uh, she was also incredibly good at handling drills. I mean, she could run a 300-yard blind retrieve. And it's like she just, the the longer we hunted with her, the more she was able to put what we had practiced and training into into effect. And it just, something clicked with her. And it got to the point where I could hunt with her. And I wouldn't even have to look up. I could watch her eyes and would know when the ducks were fixing to to drop in. It's just she knew the she knew the game. <laughs> Crazy. But we had her last season. I believe was last season. It's just she's getting to the point now where she can. She's just having trouble. We've got her on joint supplements and you know giving her special food and just kind of we kind of have to coax her to get up. And she still walks, you know a good amount of time during the day with my mom. My mom likes to go on like one to two mile walks every day. And Jill still manages to get up out of her bed and go on those walks with my mom, which is incredible for a lab at 13 years old, you know? Yeah. But there's just, there's a lot of good memories with that dog. And that's what started the whole training scene for me. So.
1: And what, what is that turned into now?
0: Well, that is what started golden acres, believe it or not. (laughs) Golden Acres started as a training operation, and we uh, we named it after our two dogs. We uh, we have two Goldens. We have uh, we have an American Red named Heidi, and we have an English White or Cream named Birdie, and they're inseparable. They're like thick as thieves. One of them, uh, Heidi, the American Red, that's my duck dog that I've been training for the last two years, and. Uh, she's she's looking up to be just about like jill was man she's super smart we uh <laughs> we drove all the way to newport arkansas to pick her up so i got her from arkansas when she was seven weeks old and i started training her that next week and then we got her home so we started training her at about eight weeks and then we picked up Bertie, our uh, our english locally i think it was in katie texas where we picked her up and she was not akc it was just basically we were looking for uh, a good partner for uh, for heidi you know yeah. so they could run together and she has not a lick of sense she's about as dumb as they come but we absolutely love her and she's a great family dog <laughs> but that's where that's where golden acres started that's where we got the name and decided to start running a company a training company under that name and that's honestly what I thought that I was going to do full time. that was kind of my dream mm-hmm. was to run a kennel of my own, say goodbye to the corporate world, you know, peace out and start doing my own thing with the dog training business, because I'd had that training from Matt Larkin. I knew how to take a dog all the way through, you know, a finished retriever. And um, so I started with that, got a couple dogs and, it it really started out as as doing specialty drills with already trained retrievers dogs that were in that were having trouble in certain areas such as force fetching, and that's kind of what got me going. Um, so I started doing that. I started doing force fetch training with certain retrievers, and then that kind of morphed into more of your traditional family dog obedience training mm-hmm. and i just got i got completely covered up in obedience training work not so much hunting stuff more so family dog training here heel, sit stay down be respectful yeah. in the house kind of training and i did that for probably six or eight months And it just, it wore me out, man, because I was still working. I'm a superintendent for a construction company. And so I work, man, I work about an hour away from where we live. And so I would get home and we start early, you know, construction. I'm going to be on site by seven. And so that means I'm leaving the house shortly after 530 to make it in time with traffic, you know, to get where I need to go. And then I'm not getting home till 430 or five sometimes. And then I was trying to do that and, and still train while my wife is stuck at home with these dogs all day waiting for me to come home and train them. You know, it just, it wore us plum out basically. And so we took a little, uh, we took a little furlough from that (laughs) around December. I said, no more, we need a break. And so I shipped my last dog back to its owner and, and kind of closed the books on that one. And, um, that was about the same time that i started fooling around in my shop i've got a um i've got a 24 by 20 so it's roughly like 480 square feet shop that i built on my property up in magnolia which is right next to my house we have 4 acres up here so i built this shop it's all r panel stick framed um really nice building you know big roll up door windows you name it man door and I had completely tricked it out for woodworking, which is what I've been passionate about since I was a kid, too. That's another thing I've been doing ever since I could walk. <laughs> My dad is an avid woodworker and probably one of the best craftsmen that I know, to be honest with you. He, um, golly, he's amazing. <laughs> Some of the stuff that he cranks out is like, that's not possible. You shouldn't be doing that.
2: <laughs> nice.
0: And it's all like furniture-based stuff, kids' toys, you know. And, um, but anyway, that's where my passion for woodworking started. So I built this shop on our property and I was using it for woodworking, doing small projects. And it was also where we were keeping the dogs kenneled at night whenever I was training, doing these training operations. And um, I got a whole slew of tools put in there. Basically, everything I know that I need to build furniture and whatnot is in that shop. And one day, after reading <laughs> i was reading a book by phil robertson believe it or not and uh i was like you know what i want to do this i want to go try to make a duck call and so without just on a whim i went and bought a cheap win little 10 inch i think it was a 10 inch lathe
2: mm-hmm.
0: i bought a bandsaw bought a uh, a joiner planer combo i bought a um oh man a dust collection system <laughs> I bought everything I needed to to get rolling, basically. You know, went and bought a mandrel from Breakheart Tool Company and um, went and got a drill chuck, a drill press, everything that I needed to start. And I just started fooling around in the shop and I built a black walnut double reed open water call. And um, man, I I blew that thing. I was like, Oh, my gosh. Here we go on another rabbit hole. <laughs> Here we go on one of those hobbies that I'm not going to be able to put away, you know? Yeah. So, from dog training to nail the duck call kick. And I tell you what, man, I haven't stopped since then. That was, t- was January of 2020.
1: Oh, uh, your class of 2020. Yeah, man, I'm one of those COVID guys. <sighs> You know what, it's it's just, I don't know, it's it's just dumb. The guys that came out of 2020, it just seems like they got a little helping of magic. It's like, just dumb. All, all, all the guys like me from like 2018, um, uh-huh. we're doing okay, but then you 2020 guys are like, oh, look at this laminated herringbone. Cut down, <laughs> blah blah blah. It's like y'all need to just sit down. You're done. Like <laughs> let us let us have our moment. You're done. Sit down. It's okay. You can get oh, up here in a little bit.
0: That is so funny. Yeah, but I you know now that I'm on call nuts and all those other pages, I'm real. There are a lot of them that started in 2019, 2020, whatever. Covid hit real bad, you know. And I think it had to do with these guys having some free time. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just trying to keep themselves occupied. Now, that wasn't me. I didn't have any free time. <laughs> my, uh, my job kept me rolling the entire time. We were just wearing masks every day, and it really sucked, but I didn't have any time off. But um, that's that's when I started, was in January of 2020. I take that back. I, okay, so going back back to when I was a kid, back to when I was 15, mm-hmm. I, had the, I had the curiosity to try to build a coal in my dad's shop when I was 15 years old, living at home. And I hadn't, this was before I even had a phone at this point. So I had no information. Um, I just grabbed a piece of burner Oak basically and chucked it up on my dad's. Oh man. He's got like a 1980s or 1970s model shopsmith. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, man. That thing is scary. It is. It almost took my finger off one time. When I was turning a black walnut bowl on it, it basically it sucked my hand in between the um, the tool rest and the spin and the spinning bowl because I hit a knot in that black walnut. It chunked the tool and sucked my hand in and stripped a lot of the skin off of my fingers. And thankfully, I mean, those machines are a powerhouse, dude, like they won't quit for nothing. And so I basically had to just reach over and turn the dang thing off and then try to get my fingers unstuck between the pieces. Uh. It was terrible. But anyway, that's where I started. I, I built my first ever duck call at 15 years old with a burner piece of oak, hand board, no idea what in the world I was doing. I was going off, I think I had an old poly Buck Garner call, and so I was trying to just get some bore sizes from that, but I drilled it by hand. You know, I drilled the tone channel by hand, And, uh, I took, (laughs) I took a reed from that old poly call and the cork, stuck it in there. And I got one quack out of the thing, but it sounded more like a fart. Ah. (laughs) I couldn't get it to do more than that, man. It made one solid fart basically. And, uh, I never touched it until now. After that, I mean, 12 years went by. From that point to where, when I picked it back up, but uh, that's that was the first. Can't really call it a duck call, but that was my first attempt at building a duck call. It was on a shopsmith in my dad's shop.
1: <laughs> do you yeah. still have that duck call?
0: I do. I keep it on my bedside table as a reminder of my humble beginnings. <laughs> I do. I I, uh, I still haven't. I still fiddle with it every now and then. It's kind of kind of embarrassing. But it's a something I keep keep by me just to just to keep me in check.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's that one thing to remind you of your humble beginnings that you keep in your shop or on on your corner table or just to remind you. I still oh, yeah. have I still have my old craftsman lathe, and oh, I'll, wow. if I have uh, a moment where I'm like this sucks. I'll like force myself to go into my old shop Uh with the old craftsman. I'll be like, "Uh, it can be a lot worse, bud. It can be so much worse. (laughs) Oh man. Does that thing smoke when you turn it on? It does. It makes that smell.
0: Oh man. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. It,
1: it makes the smell of the electric on the, um, the electric getting hot in the wires and the coils and, it just it's and it sparks when it turns on. It goes like <laughs> it's like, dude. The <laughs> torque on those old lathes was just ridiculous.
0: Oh yeah, I'll bet it was similar to that shopsmith. It wouldn't stop for nothing. Yeah, oh, man.
1: So yeah, when did you make your official? So did did you say that your first official new duck call was made out of walnut?
0: Yeah. So we have an abundant supply of black walnut my dad is constantly cutting trees down and having them milled up himself. And so he sends me scraps. And so I'm pretty sure that was one of his scraps that I built that first call from. Nice. And it was an all black walnut call. Um, And I still, I'm actually looking at it right now. I've got it. I've got my duck call lanyard and uh, it's got that, uh, it's got that first ever call that I turned on it. And it doesn't sound the greatest, you know, for a double read it's okay but I mean I don't really care what it sounds like that's the first call that I ever made it's going on my lanyard you know yeah and I have uh, I blew it this last season and we had a bunch of ducks dump into our decoys and we killed all of them so (laughs) can't go wrong with that you know yeah
1: man isn't it so cool when you go out with your own duck calls on your lanyard the dog you've worked with And you get to call those ducks in and you get to see that dog retrieve a duck. There's like nothing as good as
0: that. It's just there's nothing better than that. That's that's next level stuff, you know. Yeah, no, that was a super cool feeling to hit it on that call and see those things lock up and drop in. Just uh, yeah, you can't replace that, especially with something that you made with your hands, you know. So cool. Yeah, And I honestly, that's what drives me to keep going. Just like, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. Have you been eyeing the decoy world like I have? Or have you been like, you know what? That's like, if I'm a drug addict, that's like heroin, it could kill me. I'm just going to stay, stay with my bad little duck calls and the dogs over here.
0: Yeah, that's a slippery slope. I'm already on thin ice right now <laughs> for how far I've taken it. The- <laughs> You know, I feel like that just might, might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And so I have steered away from that. Um, <laughs> I'm not much of a carver. I, that's kind of the next thing that I want to get into maybe checkering calls and oh, yeah. learning how to do a little carving. I'm not much of an artist. I don't know how I've made it this far with the duck calls. I, I just, it's different for me if I can do it on a lathe, you know, but I, I really don't have that much artistic ability. And so I think that would be very, very difficult for me. But I don't quit once I start something, and so I feel like that would be, uh, that would be a landslide for me to get started on something like that. And so I'm just, I'm going to bury my head in the sand and pretend duck call, or I mean, uh, duck decoy making doesn't exist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you've got like Zane Haas Turner, that guy's making duck calls and making like a dozen decoys. And then he'll make more duck calls and more decoys. And then you have Waylon Thompson over here making duck calls and nets and canoes and just like, it's just nuts. These guys are just.
0: It's mind blowing. Every time you think you've done something cool just go get on call nuts and your mind will be blown. Like, okay, I know nothing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But then you, you look at like all the guys on call nuts and then you look at Dale Bordelon who makes his own duck calls by hand, like primitive ways, makes duck decoys, makes his own Piro's does everything handmade like they did back in the meat hunter days. And
0: it's just next level is dale dale's the guy that does the cane call is that correct yep yeah that guy's awesome very cool i have a lot of respect for that very very cool taking it back to its origins you know
1: yeah no is there i mean is there a culture a duck hunting culture in texas oh yeah yeah
0: uh, and it's yeah if you want to see that culture just go on a public land hunt in texas and uh you will see that. It, I mean, guys will come crawling out from under rocks <laughs> to go try to kill a duck. Hmm. And uh, it's there's a lot of duck hunters here, uh, more than you would think. And actually, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you what, that kind of screwed up our whole. So we used to hunt in Houston County Lake quite a bit uh-huh. back back in the day, and it used to be really good. And we were, you know, one of maybe two or three people that would regularly go out there. It was about a 45-minute boat trip from our house. We could step out of the house and be at the boat dock and in the back of the lake throwing decoys uh, in about 45 minutes. Whoa. And during teal season, we had to get there a little earlier because there was a little more traffic back there, you know, but not much, not much. Maybe a max of five groups back there in the back of the lake. And, uh, but now <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. There are guys, like I said, crawling out from under rocks to go try to kill a duck on a public lake or public land. There's a lot more competition now and the duck hunting is not as good. It's because of it, you know. Just from what I've seen down over here on, on, on this one particular lake. But uh no, it's very interesting. There's quite a culture here in Texas, from what I can from what I can gather.
1: Now, did you see an influx when duck dynasty went crazy?
0: You know it's funny. Me and my dad talk about this all the time, and some guys will say, no, no, you know, but I'm one of those guys that will say, yeah, I did. I mean, (laughs) right about when Duck Dynasty came out is when it started getting crappy in the back of the lake. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it's not all bad. They built – so the city of Dallas has a – basically a reservoir or a – it's called Richland Chambers. It is a water filtration system that they built. It comes off Richland Creek or Richland Lake, and it hits this flat. They've got all these little designated areas, and it's maybe like six to eight inches of water in some of these, maybe more in areas, but these little compartments. And it's natural filtration for all the water that goes on to Dallas and feeds their water supply. Hmm. So they built this, and it completely altered the flight path of the ducks so that's another big part of the problem right there we we noticed like we were seeing a lot of ducks and then like you know two years later it was down to hardly seeing anything but a couple of local wood ducks and maybe some mallards you know not anything near as as good as it was back in the early 2000s and i think that richland creek and that richland chambers reservoir has a lot to do with that and they opened up a wma on it's called richland creek WMA. And it's it's an e-card hunt, and so you have to draw it to get selected to go hunt this place. And I I kid Mm -hmm. you not, we're talking thousands of birds have altered their path to go hit up this this reservoir. It's crazy. And so that's partly why we haven't seen so many ducks on Houston County Lake is because of of that Richland Creek WMA Mm -hmm. being built there. But... It's really fun to hunt. We've been drawn twice to go there, and I mean, we're talking limits in like an hour
2: <laughs> yeah. both
0: times. But still, makes me kind of frustrated because it kind of killed my old stomping grounds, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that and, that and Duck Dynasty are to blame.
1: <laughs> now, do you ever see any gators in in your area?
0: So we hunt the coast a lot. I hunt in uh, in Freeport quite a bit, and out there it's all brackish brackish water you know and yeah we do we run into quite a few gators we've had some guys with young kids from our church have brought out there and they're sitting there in the marsh with a family of gators swimming around them you know so we've got gators we've got water moccasins like you wouldn't believe especially right there on the coast that's that's primarily where i've seen the gators i have seen a few of them off the trinity river when we're hunting in deep east texas But they're, you know, they're not going to come around us. They're scared. Um, But we see a lot more down on the coast in that brackish water, just chilling.
1: Now, do you have gator snappers around that area too? What is that? Alligator snapping turtles?
0: Oh, I have no idea. I mean, we have snapping turtles (laughs) like you wouldn't believe. But to be honest with you, I really don't, never really even heard of that.
1: Okay. Yeah, I'll send you pictures yeah or
0: videos would be interested to see that
1: yeah it it may be a um i think they have them in louisiana and arkansas maybe i don't know oh man i may have to talk to my louisiana friends and find out <laughs> about that but yeah i'll i'll send you videos on uh, alligator snapping turtles they're crazy but um
0: yeah that's crazy
1: yeah man the um it's it's so funny i mean as as far as culture here in Indiana, we actually had a marsh that was 200 miles long called Kankakee Marsh. Oh, wow. And it was one of the biggest marshes in the country. Wow. And I think it was, I may be wrong, in the 20s or 30s, they drained it and turned it into farmland, and there's only like 20 acres left.
0: Oh, my goodness. Or
1: 200 acres left. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is that still, is that some kind of WMA that they have now? Yeah,
1: they do a draw. And when I have to drive like an hour and 30 minutes to get up there. And when I, I showed up three hours before the draw and there were already like 50 trucks there.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, when the doors opened, there were like 400 trucks out in the parking lot and down well, the and down the road
0: that's not exactly your tranquility of the woods kind of experience is it
1: <laughs> no in indiana we really have to search hard and look for stuff on the away from the beaten path and it's pretty hard up here but
0: oh i can imagine we have a very similar well for teal season anyway we do i i hunt a, a wma uh, on mm-hmm. the coast with a bunch of guys from church and it is a very similar setup to what you're just talking about like when you roll up on opening day of teal season there's guaranteed 75 trucks already at the gate at 330 in the morning and uh, they they've come a long way in the, the texas parks and wildlife has come a long way in making it better
2: mm-hmm. and more
0: fair for the guys that are coming from out of town because that's a good two-hour drive from magnolia where i live down to the coast yeah and we Our morning starts at 12, (laughs) 12 a.m. We're hitting the truck. We're picking up the guys. We're we're booking it down to the gate, you know, and um, it used to be. So the system used to be first come, first serve. And so you would have guys parking vehicles alongside of the road at the gate and leaving them there the night before or camping out. And so the guys from out of town had no way of competing with the locals. Hmm. We just, we couldn't do it, you know, coming off of a work week and trying to get down there in time and spend the night in your truck with a family. It's just like, it wasn't, it wasn't a good system and a lot of people hated it. And, um, so now, they, now they've got a much better system and what it is, it's, it's basically a lottery. No matter what spot you, you get in line, you could be truck number one, or you could be truck number 75. It doesn't matter everybody gets a tag it's it's a cow tag that they're giving out with a number on it Ah. and you, you get that cow tag at the gate and you bring it up to the check station and they throw a matching number is the one that you received at the gate into a five gallon bucket and they mix it up and they start hanging on a pegboard and that's the order of who gets drawn to select spots on that property and it's a much better system just because it's it's you know, it's leveled the playing field for the guys that are coming in from way out of town to try to hunt some teal, you know. And we've always had good luck. We've (laughs) we've even had good luck just because we know the property so well, we've had good luck getting, you know, 40th or 50th pick. It's just there's a bunch of noobs out there that really don't know where to go. And that kind of works to our advantage. So we've always even even getting bad draws have been able to get in and get a good spot and kill a six man limited ducks or a blue wing teal. Just nice. been, been awesome that's really 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 enjoyable to go hunt and kill a six-man limited teal on public land you know
1: oh yeah teal are just that's what got me into this addiction was blue wing teal season
0: oh they're stupid fast man
1: <laughs> oh my gosh
0: they are one of the most fun birds to hunt and i absolutely love it and uh it's just, they sound like little rockets coming overhead. Yes, they do. Of, some of the most fun you can have is a good teal shoot, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and Luke Young and I were talking about this. I don't think there's one guy on the planet that whenever a blue-winged teal flies over, they don't go... Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> especially especially when they're in full plume and it's one of those drakes. Oh, my goodness. Holy cow.
1: You just hear the jet noises coming from those birds when they fly over. there just so fast.
0: Oh, yeah. You'll hear them from a mile away before they even get there. And you're like, okay, I know they're coming over, but I can't quite see them yet. And the next thing you know, they're, they're feet up in your decoys. <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy. And uh, they're like, I kind of joke that they're like the bats. So there's this, in Austin, Texas, there's a famous bridge that has a oh, bunch I've of bats. Oh, I've heard
1: about the bats.
0: Yeah, so the teal down in on the coast where we hunt are about as thick as that. <laughs> it's just out of control. I mean you can shoot a limit and pick up your decoys or or just leave a few out and just sit back in your chair and just watch the show. They'll just keep dumping in. It is super cool.
1: Now have you been to Austin much at
0: all? I actually grew up in Austin, believe it or not. And Did... We moved Yeah yeah my dad uh, my dad worked there and uh, went to school there in Austin for a few years. I think we were I was seven years old when we moved from Austin to East Texas. That's whenever my dad took that job as the summer camp director at Frontier Camp. And so that was quite the transition. a very big change of scenery.
1: <laughs> oh, I bet. The, um, now, can you remember the moonlight towers in Austin?
0: Man, I was so young. I I have very few memories from Austin. It just was, you know. I was seven years old when we left, and just i I'm having trouble remembering what all went on during that time period. But but no, I don't I don't remember the Moonlight Towers. Yeah, they uh,
1: put them up. I think in the late 1800s, they were like the first outside lighting towers ever. Really. Yes, and they're still standing today. Really? Yeah.
0: Well I I completely missed that.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're still they're still around and they still they still do their thing since like eighteen nineties,
0: maybe? Wow. Yeah. Well next next time I'm going through Austin. I'll have to go check that out. That's yeah. Pretty cool.
1: I'll, uh, yeah, I need to send you a link of the moonlight Towers. It's pretty, I'm one of those guys that loves architecture and stuff. So I'm always reading up on that stuff.
0: Oh yeah. That's cool. You know, I, uh, when I went to school at a and that I studied construction science and, and management there at A&M and we shared a department with the art, arch, with architecture, with the architecture department. Nice. And, you know, I got to, experience a little bit of that (laughs) there's some interesting fellows that's for sure now man you know we we've
1: talked about um your duck hunting experiences we've talked about your dogs we have talked about um your duck calls i mean uh what 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 do we have to look forward in the future from golden makers
0: you know me i i don't sleep no you don't (laughs) I don't sleep. The lathe is running. When I'm not at work, the lathe is, is pretty much running. And, uh, so I'm constantly working on new stuff, trying to improve my calls, um, working on, working on perfecting my J frames. You know, right now it's, it's so early in the game for me. I haven't, I have not got I do J I don't, I don't have a custom jig. Is what I'm trying to say. Everything that, everything that comes out of my shop is done on a flat jig. And I'm just, look, I'm looking for that perfect tone board that I want to send in. I've had some calls and I'm like, I'm going to send that in. And they're like, ah, I'm going to keep playing with it. You know, and it sounds good enough to call a duck in and kill it and, and get up there and scream on it or, you know, get quiet on the low end. And it, I've got a decent sound coming out of my calls, but I just. I have not quite gotten to that point where I think that I'm ready to have a jig sent or have a have a tone board sent into Wade over at Webfoot and get a jig made off of it. So for now, I'm just going to keep chucking with these flat jigs and just keep putting blood, sweat, and tears into every call that I sell. Yeah. Well, my hat's off to you
1: because a, a uh, J-frame jig in itself is like a crazy, psychotic, twisted, two-faced ex-girlfriend. Oh yeah. Mine is sitting on my table right now with like an inch of dust on it and there's <laughs> no plans to t- touch it. Actually, I have to touch it one time and I don't even want to, I don't even want to look at it. Like, I don't want to think about touching it. I don't want to talk about touching it. I don't want to touch it.
0: <laughs> it's just horrible. I hear you, man. I hear you. Oh goodness. But. Yeah,
1: it's it's uh, my hats off to you. Like I said, it's the the J frame is just so fickle. It is the most precise, best way to make the sound of a duck. But it is so it is like a rocket science. If you overboard it, or if you uh, don't backboard enough, or if you do this, or if For some reason, maybe the grain is wrong, so blah, blah, blah. So you may have, all the stars may align, but for some reason, that one call, that that tone board that looks perfectly fine, for some reason you cannot sand the gravel out of it, and it's just gravelly as heck, and then you sit it on the shelf, and then a year later, you see a little pinhole knot that was on the tone board, and that's what's causing all the gravel.
0: I tell you what, I know as a call maker, every call maker has gone through that. You just get that one tone board that looks perfect. And you're like, this is going to sing. And you cannot, no matter what you do to it, you just cannot get it to behave. And then it eventually ends up in your scrap pile. I've had, <laughs> I joke with my wife, but I'm like, honey, we're going to stay warm this winter off of my tone board scrap pile. We're going to burn those long all- <laughs> and stay warm. <laughs> oh but it really is a thing you could do everything right and still not get it to behave or everything that you know to be right you know it's just they're so you know, i've heard people say it before but any little thing that you do can alter the sound of that call one one swipe too many with a file one push with sandpaper in the wrong spot and you're cooked that's it you know it's just a Golly, it can be so frustrating sometimes, especially when you've worked, you know, three hours or more on on some custom uh, tone board, mm-hmm. trying to get, you know, you've already prettied it up, already put a CA finish or velvet oil, or whatever you're going to do on it and got it ready to go. And then you cut that tone board and it's just, it's trash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'll make you want to cry. It'll make you want to cry and hang it up and never do it again. And I've been to that point so many times. And I honestly don't know why they keep going, but it's just something, it's like, it's it's just you can't quit. It's like it's, you're possessed.
1: <laughs> no, 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 you can. You can, Conrad, and then you go to the evil mistress called the Louisiana Tone Board. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, she is a sweet tone board, let me tell you. Know, she's a duck-killing machine, I'm sure. She's nothing like the J-frame, but man, I'll tell you what the LA. If that's I've got mixed emotions cuz I hate J I hate the J-frame jig. I love I love J-frames. I mean, some of my friends I lo- I love their J-frame duck calls. I I love their duck calls. Um yeah. but if I wouldn't have hated the J-frame so much and when I realized there was another option I mean, there's so many other options. There's the Catahoula, there's the LA, there's, I mean, there's so many. Um, but I went the LA route, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, now that's my thing, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think that the LA style, it, it's very ducky, you know, you'll hear, you'll hear ducks making sounds that are very similar to what's coming off that tone board. And, uh, you know, you, you may be able to do a lot more with a J-frame. You may, may be able to impress and wow some people with it and run it up high or, mm-hmm. or do cool things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do on Louisiana-style board. But what it all comes down to at the end of the day is: are you killing ducks? Yeah. <laughs> are you making a sound that the ducks say, hey, we need to go check out what's going on over here? Yeah. You know, that is what it's all about in my mind as a duck hunter and a call maker at the end of the day. Not about trying to impress somebody with, you know, with the range we have on our call or what it can do. Is is that sucker going to kill ducks?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. The
0: And I mean, to,
1: well, you know, you have the J-frame and then you have the cut down. And man, I mean, those <laughs> Cocoa cut downs, they just you when you put that video out i was like oh my gosh here we go and man the (laughs) the orders the people just started jumping on that didn't they it blew my mind i had no idea
0: i had no idea that was something that i've been since i started making calls i've always had an appreciation for cut down calls and i was like you know what i really really want to do this on my own and make my own cut down call and uh i uh i was actually waiting on a jig i was gonna get a jig from wade a cutdown jig and he was out and was going to be out for the next couple of months and i was like you know what i cannot wait this long i'm just going to wing this and so i took a flat jig and used some tricks from a fellow call maker and basically cut an upslope in a really sketchy way <laughs> that you know about we've talked about it before yeah <laughs> In, a, in the kind of way that'll make you poop your pants, but yeah. uh, I uh, I did that. I got got started with that. Cut my own tone board and spent about you know an hour and a half, two hours filing and sanding on it, getting it to where I thought it needed to be. And um, I'm not gonna lie, on that first time I put that reed in there, on that first prototype, it <laughs> pretty much sounded exactly how I wanted it to sound. I was like, no freaking way, this has never happened.
1: No, this it ne- never happens like
0: that. It never happens like that, and it just so happened that I was like, I have arrived. This is it. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to produce. And uh, I thought it sounded really good, and so I, post- I posted up a sound file of it, and my phone was blowing out of the water for about two and a half, three hours, just like, hey man, you got any more cocoa cutdowns? Uh, what's the lead time? What's the wait time on cocoa cut down? And And we got probably 17 orders in about two hours on that, on that call. And since then they keep kind of trickling in and I'll get guys inquiring about them, asking for sound files. And I've added a few more to that list. But since that I have not stopped, I have been cranking them out. I'm I'm trying to build five at a time right now. And that's new to me. I've always just built one call at a time. And, um, this is it's actually it's actually good for me because I'm kind of ADHD. I'm scatterbrained. Mm-hmm. I'll uh, I'll be in my shop turning a call, and the lathe will be running, and I'm over here messing with something else. I'm trying to pop a read in another J frame or do something, and I realize that the lathe is still spinning. And I've got an unfinished call, on it. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, oh, go oh, this. <laughs> and my wife will tell you I'm about as about as ADHD as they come and she keeps telling me that I need to go get medicine for it so maybe one of these days I'll wise up and listen to her but but building five at a time and doing these waves of them has really kind of helped me focus on doing one thing at a time like one day I'm 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 boring out barrels yeah and sleeving up tail pieces getting them ready to turn cutting bands from copper pipe you know and so it's really kind of helped me focus and stay on one mission you know? And so (laughs) it's just a totally new concept to me to try to build that many of them at one time. Yeah. I've got, I've got six of them sitting on my workbench right now, just ready to file and tune, you know? So, and it's good. And and eventually people like this call so much that we're going to run an acrylic version of it. And I haven't released any of them yet. I sold one acrylic call this last week. Um, Kind of, it wasn't the prototype. I had built one more before that, but this is the first acrylic that I had released that I thought actually was ready to go, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll see how that one does. I'm not really sure. I know a lot of these guys like acrylic, and I personally like wood better. Wood, just it's more classic. It's, it's just, it's what guys have been using since forever. Yeah. (laughs) You know, acrylic is not. It's not old, it's it's fairly new in the game as far as I'm concerned. And yeah. There's definitely some good things about it, like it's more consistent and it doesn't it doesn't shift and move like wood can and you get mm-hmm. consistent tones out of it, you know. Once you've set and locked in your tone board, that's pretty much it. You don't have to worry about having to come back and retune it. Like I've had some wood calls that I have tuned up the night before. I was gonna sell it. I'm like, okay, this sounds awesome, then I'll be ready to package it up and i'll blow it one more time in the morning like dude this something's changed you know and that's just the nature of wood it's constantly moving and there's nothing you can do about it so i kind of (laughs) now i won't send a wood call out until a couple days after i've tuned it and i'll let it sit and i'll blow it again double check it triple check it make sure it's how i want it to sound before i ship it out you know so it's just acrylic is a different a different ball game and uh, so I'll probably release a line of these acrylic cutdowns here pretty soon and see what the guys think about them but in my heart I like to turn wood you know <laughs> yeah I'm gonna keep cranking I'm gonna keep cranking these cocoa cutdowns out as long as people keep buying them
1: yeah and, have uh, have you ever seen the show called Cheers no I have not okay well in the show called Cheers, it's uh it's about a bar and there's a guy that's always hanging out there named Norm, he pretty much lives there. And dude, your <laughs> your norm is WD. Like, like that guy that. is just hanging out at the Coco Cutter Club, just hey.
0: WD is probably one of the coolest guys that I've gotten to know from the Call Nuts page. And he's by far my biggest supporter. And he just lives and breathes Golden acres custom calls like this guy like he he literally he'll budget he will budget so that he can spend money from month to month on my calls and i love that and he has gotten me so much work and advertised for me like truly an awesome guy i i can't I have nothing bad to say about wd His he he's become a really good friend of mine and i just really appreciate all his support you know i'm just pretty crazy yeah
1: <laughs> it's if you can get at least one or two of those fanatics on the train, you've you've made it.
0: So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Actually WD is getting my first uh <laughs> he's getting my first acrylic uh, cut down. I oh built is a, he? I built a cut down out of a jungle camo, kind of an old school camo.
1: Oh it looks so good.
0: Yeah, and so he asked me if I could do a um, cut a recess section into it and put some stoppers on it so that he could wrap it. So he's going to get a camo cord wrap going on that cutter. And I'll tell you what, it's going to look sick because WD is, he is the king of wrapping calls. So I just put that call in the mail for him today. And so you should look on call nuts here pretty soon. You'll probably see it with a cord wrap on it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now you, you've listened to the podcast. I mean, here in a second, we're uh, going to do the three last questions, but, uh, how, how can people uh, find Golden Acres?
0: Well, we've got a couple ways. We have an Instagram page. It's called Golden Acres Homestead. And we also just started a Facebook page, um, Golden Acres Custom Calls. And we also have a website. That is where we sell 100% of our calls. So if a guy messages me or girl and says, I want a golden acres call, blah, 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 this, you know, I will post that call up on our website. I'll create it just for them. Even if it's something super custom, I will uh, put it up on our website. That way they can go through the checkout process there on our website and I can track everything. So we sell pretty much a hundred percent of our calls through the website, but we'll take inquiries and, you know, and we'll give information through Facebook Messenger, through Instagram, or you can even message me on my personal Facebook page, which is just Conrad Menardis. And um, I will get something built for you and post it up on our website for you to, to buy. That's pretty much how it works. But our uh, our website is called Golden Acres Homestead, and it's .net is what it is. And if you haven't been to it yet, you should go check it out. It's, it's pretty cool. It um it was my wife's idea to start all this, and she um we have four acres up here in Magnolia, like I was telling you. And we do a little bit of homesteading. We've you know raised a few animals, chickens, and got a big garden going. And so she's got kind of some of that stuff on there. We kind of share the website, and so you can buy a duck call and get a recipe for how to cook a squirrel. Basically, it's awesome. (laughs) It's kind of a mixed bag. It's kind of cool. Not not what you see out of your typical call maker, you know. But um, it's a really cool site. So anybody who wants to go check it out, it's goldnakershomestead.net.
1: Yeah, and if you also want to uh, see Comrade do like a parody of a music video wearing uncomfortably looking uh, Daisy Duke jeans <laughs> and uh, singing and doing... Some stuff, look
0: up his TikTok. See, that's what I was afraid of. Oh, man. <laughs> you want to go wash your eyes out afterwards. You my, know, you may have after seeing some of that.
1: Yeah, my wife was like, so who are you interviewing tonight? And I showed her that video. She's like, huh? <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's like,
0: so who is this clown?" She's like, where
1: do you find these people? I was like, I don't know. The deep, dark alleys of the call world, man
0: those east texas boys you gotta watch out
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh no it's good stuff man but are you ready for the last three questions
0: let's do it man i was born ready (laughs) okay if you
1: could go back to one duck hunt and do it all over again what would it be
0: oh man so i was gonna say man i've actually got two two hunts that are pretty memorable if you've got time The, um, the first one would be this last season, which was kind of slow for us here in, in, um, this last uh, season, but it was a teal hunt during early September and it just so worked out that I had my dad, my mom, a couple really good buddies from our small group in church. And it was one of those perfect mornings. We hammered a six man limit of teal, uh, we, we were able to sit down like I was talking about earlier and just watch a show after we limited out, just sitting there watching flock after flock after flock of blue winged teal just dump into the decoys. And we're just sitting there with full stringers, just watching them dance around. It was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in duck hunting. And it was just mm-hmm. super special to have my mom and dad there, you know. I've been telling about going down to the coast for years and, and finally it worked out that we could all meet up at the coast and, and get on one of these public land hunts. And it was just, it was super special. And I'll always remember that hunt. And uh, the, the other hunt, if I could go back, would be a couple of years ago, a buddy and I got a tip from a local guy and he said, Hey man, there are about 30 or 40 greater, Canadian geese that put down on this loafing pond at night is that they're going in like right before shooting hours is over. They'll come in, and so <laughs> we're not much goose hunters. I I really haven't done too much goose hunting in my life. I can count on one hand the times I've been goose or crane hunting even. And uh, we're like, let's do it. So he and I piled into the truck, and maybe 25 minutes from my house here, in Magnolia, we're up in Hempstead. And we're not goose hunters. We don't have calls. We don't know what the heck we're doing. We had, he just so happened, my buddy just so happened to have like three or four big Canadian geese decoys. And we just set up on this point where we think that they're going to put down. But four Canadian goose decoys out, just kind of brushed ourselves in and waited for about two hours, you know, until the kind of the last little bit of light. And this guy wasn't lying, man. I, I kid you not probably 30 or 35 greater canadian geese which are the big boys they're like 35 40 pound birds all grain fed you know they're not like your typical canadian geese these suckers are huge Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they come in they lock in on our little four pathetic our little pathetic spread of four decoys or whatever it was and they just start dropping in in front of us and their wingspan is probably between five and six feet. It's just crazy. And you can feel the wind coming off of their wings as they're landing in front of us. And we're just shell-shocked. I mean, we don't have goose load. We're, I think we're shooting number twos or number ones. But we are so close, it doesn't even matter. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. And we put down, I think, about five or six in that first volley, just smoking them. Just me and one other guy you know we empty our shotguns and have five or six geese flapping around you know <laughs> so we're just freaking out high-fiving going crazy and uh we had a yellows a bright yellow kayak out there and so i hop in that thing load up some more shells and i'm paddling around picking up birds from that first volley and another group drops in this time about 15 birds and <laughs> They come right over my head, Riley, and I'm laid back in this kayak and I take three shots and three more Canadian geese drop. And by the end of it, we had, we had eight birds down and it was just, it was crazy. Oh my gosh. (laughs) One of the craziest hunts I've ever been a part of and I was just tickled. We were just laughing the entire time. Like what in the world just happened? We're out in the middle of, of Hempstead, Texas not even supposed to be geese in this area you know and they're just they're huge birds they're ridiculously big a greater canadian goose is I've, I've seen my dog try to uh, bring one to shore and it's a struggle i mean my golden retriever is 60 pounds soaking wet and trying to see her fight one to shore is just it's it's hilarious <laughs> that's awesome but that probably was probably one of my favorite hunts right there just with one other guy from church out there smoking geese in the middle of Texas. Wow. Tell you what. Pretty crazy. That's cool. The second
1: yep. question, if you could go on a hunt with three other guys, I'm talking friends, family, legends, living or deceased, who would it be?
0: Well, first I'd have to say my dad. Definitely my father. He's a uh, he shares the same passion for duck hunting that I do. And he's, he's my best hunting buddy. You know, we've been doing this since I was 10 years old and he and I have learned a ton together over the years. So I'd say definitely him for the first one. And um, probably the, the next two, I would say also got guys from church probably there's a, I've got a really good small group, a life group that we're a part of. And uh, they're also my hunting buddies. We do everything together there are no secrets between us, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that would be Jack Watkins and Steven Garza would be the other two guys that I would go. Um, uh, I go anywhere with those guys.
1: <laughs> that is awesome. That yep. is awesome. So if you could stand over the shoulder and watch any call maker of all time, living or deceased, make a duck call who would be,
0: I think, you know who I'm going to say, Mm-hmm. uh, And I know a million people have said this on this podcast, but this is I've been thinking about this before I even heard this podcast. And that would be Brad Samples, just because he sets the time. I mean, he takes he takes the threshold of what's possible and just pushes it. (laughs) It's kind of ridiculous. You know, It, it makes it almost unreachable with with what he's doing. And I'm just I'm fascinated with his metal work way he'll turn a brass call and and just all his inlays he's just he's a true artist and his carvings are out of this world i just don't even know how he does it so definitely i would i would uh i'd pay a lot of money to stand in in brad sample shop and look over his shoulder and learn something from him as he turns a call you know you know who rivals Brad and I'm just gonna
1: say this out there a lot of people are going to be screaming at their phones flipping out <laughs> as I say this but if you look at the calls that are going to Colapalooza right now and everyone's showing their calls I'm gonna have a case of these calls blah blah blah. Oh, it- You know, you've got some of the greats, you've got Brian Byers, you've got some of these just really talented call makers just taking some really cool calls down there, but Joe Butcher's calls, holy
0: crap! Oh yeah, yep, now that I think about it. The carved
1: and painted calls, oh my gosh!
0: I saw that the other day, and I was just like, what even is this? Like, holy cow. This is next-level stuff here. Oh, it's stupid. And it goes back to what I said before. Every time that you think you've done something cool, just go get on Call Nuts for a few minutes and prepare to be humbled. Yeah, yeah. Did you see the... uh... Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying prepare to be humbled, man. It's just out of control. Yeah, The level of talent that's in that group, it's just mind-blowing.
1: Yeah, I mean... Butcher's calls, man. And then he did that one call with Dale Bordelon last year where they raffled it off for St. Jude and it went for like $1,500. Oh
0: my goodness. Or
1: auctioned it off. It went for like, I kept watching it and it went to like two, three, four. I'm like, whoa, it's going to go to $500. No, it kept going to like $1,200, $1,500.
0: Holy smokes. Blew well, awesome. my mind. That's great. That's for a great cause too, you know. So, that's super cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but man Comrade, thank you so much for calling in, man. We've been talking about this for a long time getting you on here. Um and I mean there's there's a handful of guys I really respect and look up to and I kind of they're kind of my colleagues and I send them pictures and they they send me pictures and sound files and we kind of push each other and you're one of those guys, man. I'll I'll like throw ideas past you and you really um well, whether you know it or not, you kind of help push me, because every time I'm like, hey, check this out, Conrad, then you're putting some <laughs> stupid freaking monthly call up that's inlaid all to heaven, and I'm like, holy
0: crap. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's funny, but I mean, that's what this community's all about, is is good friendships and... That's another thing that I've seen just from like meeting you, you know, and and discovering your podcast and meeting some of the other guys on call nuts is like, these guys are for real. All of them are super genuine, humble guys that are willing to help you out. I have yet to come in contact with anybody who's negative or anything like that. I'm, I'm sure there's a few guys out there, but from what I've seen, it's just been a super supportive community and some really good friendships can, can come out of it, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's there's some really good guys. I mean, there's I mean there's a couple. And I wouldn't say they're bad guys. They're maybe just a little disturbed. I don't know. <laughs> they they have some issues. I mean, they've been they've been let's just say they've been standing on the tone same tone board way too long. That's all <laughs> I'm gonna
0: say. You gotta watch out for the trolls
1: oh my gosh yes oh my gosh you put a call isn't that fun when you get your first troll <laughs> and you know i what's so funny is like luke young when i started working with him on the uh callmaker shootout like uh-huh. we're doing stuff and i see his like logo picture i'm like you know what i was and i brought it up to him we're like talking and blah, 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 Coalmaker shootout. Oh, I can't wait to see this match. I, like, stop for a second. I'm like, you do realize that you have trolled me, like, so many times and just thrown <laughs> stupid insults and, like, made me so mad I wanted to shut off my live stream. He's like, get used to it. I troll everybody. It's like, all right, you're up to hilarious. it.
0: That's hilarious. Oh, yeah. No, he, he seems like a really cool guy. I'm I've actually, uh, he's going to send me a piece of American hedge to uh, build him a call out of. So I've been kind of talking with him. He seems like a, a really nice guy. So that's, that's funny. <laughs> now,
1: before we end this comrade, is there any way we can get like a booster or a signal something in your shop to where you can do the, the coal shoot off next year?
0: Is there a chance there may be a chance, Riley. I mean, I'm a, I'm a construction science guy from Texas A&M, and so I, don't build, I build things to last, and I build things to kill cell signal, apparently. I built that metal building, and it just is a total dead zone for any kind of service. And so, like, even when we're messaging, I have to, like, stick my phone out the window of the shop to get any kind of cell service. So I may have to put a, an extender or something that can reach the house on there, but I would love to be part of that at some point. No doubt
1: yeah it's man when we started doing those i was like conrad come on conrad conrad come on let's do it come on conrad
0: i mean every, that... bone, every bone in my body wanted to jump in there i was like this is not it's not possible yeah <laughs> i can't do it with this live feed
1: yeah you you built a faraday cage for a shot, so I, I
0: built a freaking cage that's for sure
1: <laughs> well hopefully <laughs> hopefully we can figure something out because i mean I don't know. We've the brackets already halfway filled, so we're going to have to fit, either uh, figure something already, out or get a second bracket or what.
0: You've already filled the half the bracket for next year? Yeah. Oh, dude, that's incredible. I'll tell you what, watching those was it was like the Super Bowl for me. Like I don't get too fired up about sports. But my wife is like, what are you watching? I'm like, dude, it's the Callmaker shootout. Just let me have a few minutes here. This is super cool.
1: <laughs> Man, when my wife, I mean, she, she kind of, she didn't get it at first. But when she started seeing the profile, like the promo pictures, and oh, yeah. guys are like preparing for it weeks in advance, and like, there's all this trash talking and then Ron Davis and someone else were setting up TVs in their shops so they could watch it live like big TVs. I'm like, dude, this is the, it's becoming the super bowl for coal making. This is awesome.
0: It really is. Y'all left, y'all left nothing behind. Y'all went full throttle. And, uh, I'm just so glad that all these super cool dudes jumped on it. I mean, you got guys that have, that are competing in, in Colapalooza yeah. were on your call maker shootout. You know, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and they and, are so humble. They're the most oh, yeah. humble guys ever. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, Joey D'Amico, that's one of the guys you brought up. I've got so much respect for that guy. He is such a cool guy. And oh,
0: his, his calls are awesome too.
1: Oh, they're so good. I mean, that one he made out of mesquite or whatever it was, that literally could have, when I looked at it, I was like, that call could be, that picture right there could be on the back of a duck hunting magazine.
0: Oh, yeah. And it sounded like gold, too. Yeah. I mean, I I would never think to pick up a piece of mesquite and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make a good-sounding duck call out of this, you
1: know? Man, Uh, Did you start noticing that people started using mesquite like crazy right after that? (laughs) Old Joey's a
0: trendsetter.
1: (laughs) Man. And then like I was talking to Joey on Facebook and I was like, Hey, where are you up to? He's like, Oh, I'm at a guy's shop and we're, we're uh, messing around with calls. And I'm like at a guy's shop who, who else's shop and he shows a picture and there's Brad samples turning on the lathe. I'm like, no, hey, yeah, I'm like, you're just nonchalantly Joey D'Amico, one of like the guys in call making and you're with the other one of the other guys in call making and y'all are just hanging out, drinking coffee, making duck calls, just hanging out. It's like, huh. I'm so,
0: I'm so envious. That's ah. It's not even funny. <laughs>
1: uh, you, I, I would so just love to sit there with a recorder and just oh, record oh. those
0: two. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. That's really, really
1: cool. Well, Comrade, man, thank you so much for uh, calling in, man. I really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, but, uh, um, yeah, this has been a great episode talking about the Coco cut down. And if anyone has uh, um, had a chance, make sure to check that out. So I'm just going to close her out real quick. So stay on the line, Comrade.
0: All right. Thanks, Riley.
1: All right, so that was Conrad Mignardis. If you get a chance, look up his videos on Facebook. And if you want to be disturbed, TikTok. Um, And I'm just saying that in jest. But if you want to get a call from him, message him on Facebook. Look up his website. Get one of those cocoa Cutters. They get on the list now before it gets crazy. So, um... Before duck season. Because you just know people are going to be putting it off till duck season. Putting it off till duck season. And then two weeks before season. This happens to me every year. It's like. I'll get a call from you. I'll get a call from you. And then two weeks before season. You all start knocking my door down. Where's my duck call? It's like. You never officially put an order in. So get with Comrade. Get on the list now. Uh, get, Get your hands on one of those cocoa cutters. Maybe one of his acrylic cutters. So. So till next time, this is Riley Hendrickson with Rilo's Quack Chat.